right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for July 17th. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review your podcast platform of choice. Hit subscribe on the Just Basketball Fan YouTube channel. Also, go into the link below. Click the link. Go buy something from our friends at Homage, who have great NBA, WNBA, all kinds of great licensed merch. Click that link. Buy yourself or someone you love something. Some of the money comes back to us. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little more later about some of uh, favorite designs. I have a shirt, Brennan, that there's a certain NBA trade that when it happens, I'm going to be wearing it. Uh, well, I wonder, I actually have two that if like, I can't really cut them in the, in the vein of like a split jersey kind of thing. I mean, maybe there's somebody in your life who's great at sewing. You could maybe try to hook it up. But it's, it's not even like symmetrical, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Be two like, faces and bodies smashed together. Like it's the, probably not what you want. Yeah, like the the split jersey thing is a real time honored tradition dating back to. I think of the first time I it ends in my conscience is um, Jim. I don't know if you would have watched this or not, but when Ohio State played Notre Dame in a bowl game, AJ Hawk's sister or AJ Hawk was dating Brady Quinn's sister, so Brady Quinn's sister wore a half mm. Brady Quinn jersey, a half AJ Hawk Ohio State jersey. No, incredibly Midwestern thing that I have That's no right. familiarity with. I'm very happy for all of you out there that got to experience. It might have been. It might have. It might have been at the the Fiesta Bowl. It's possible. Well, then that maybe was at it did Fiesta have something Bowl. to do with me. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that doesn't matter. But I I can't. And Donovan Mitchell this week just wore a half Guardians, half Mets jersey. So that's just that's just pandering. That's he hears just, the he noise about his future, and he's just trying to he, make it stop. He's, he, he, he absolutely read some tweets about Cavs fans getting mad about him for being a Mets fan, and it's like, I'm going to pander slightly. And I'm like, you didn't really need to do this. But big show today. So we're going to start with the flopping rule change. Dennis. I have a take on that that I want to see if Brendan agrees or not with me on that. We're going to go to WBA players of the season. We each have five. And Brendan has one on his list that I was too much of a coward to pick. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if you can figure out which one that is going to be. And then we're going to do a 2018 NBA redraft. This draft is going to be is now five years old. Uh, it has some superstars in it. It has some really interesting players in it. It has one of Brendan's favorite players, period, in it. Um, For my uh, money, one of the best drafts we've had in a in a long time in terms of depth and how many of these guys are already on big money contracts or contributing on great teams. It's a very interesting draft. Also, just like a really weird top, like a really weird top, just considering where this has ended up. Yep. Like, and, and like, there's a lot of reasons for that. We can talk about them, but we'll dive in. Let's start, Brennan, with flopping. Here's my take. Here, well, let's explain the rules first. So this is the NBA announced a change this week to flopping, their flopping rules, and also the, the char, uh, a change that will give coaches a second challenge if their first round is successful. Uh, the charge thing, real quick, the, I, I like that. I also like my biggest pet peeve with the NBA is that sometimes they let the games get tied into the muck too much. And if this is something that makes dra- games, especially late in games, drag on even more, I think that's like not great. Do you but mean I, the challenge I, thing? That, is that what you meant? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Said charge. I, I, that, I mean, that's my issue with it. Sure. I just thought it was unfair from the jump. It, it, it was like yes. the number one, anybody in reasonable who understands basketball that you asked to oh, or talk to about the challenge rule from the very beginning of its inception, like four years ago was like, yeah, bummer that they can't keep if they win it. So it was just an obvious change. I don't even know why it took them this long. 
and it honestly just like follows football and the places that have already had challenges. So that one felt felt like a no brainer to me. Yes, hundred percent. They also should just like actually if you if you want to realize how much time the NBA could reasonably shave off of the games of time to check the timeouts. They say they're like thirty second timeouts or sixty second timeouts. They're never actually that short and tight. No. So if you want to like. They could actually control the timing of those a little bit better, and these games could get moving a little bit faster. Yeah, if you're in arena and you see like it's a it's an initial countdown for the timeout, and then it'll be a countdown until the basketball game actually starts for like the in arena dancers and stuff to get back to their station. Then the ball rolls out and somebody grabs it to, to toss it in bounds and everything else. Yeah, the the uh, maybe maybe basketball needs a Theo Epstein to to, to tighten trim some of this up. I didn't think I would say on this podcast ever, Brennan, that the NBA could learn something from the MLB, but like I think the NBA could learn something from the MLB. The WNBA games are never more than two hours. I mean, I know the game is literally shorter by eight minutes, but that is not eight minutes of difference, and, and they figured it out, so yeah, it's, it's time. So the flopping thing. So this is the rule change. Basically, the, a game official calls a flop, which the NBA defines as, quote, a physical act, that reasonably appears to be intended to cause the officials to call a foul on another player. I wonder who, by the way, is in the dictionary uh, thing of this. Is it the Dylan Brooks Oregon flop? I, I might suggest that that should be the one. The offending player will be charged with a non-unsportsmanlike technical foul and give the other team one free throw. This is going to be implemented on a one-year basis. Uh, this, this foul does not mean a player gets ejected from the game. The refs also will not have to interrupt the play to call a flop is they can wait until the next stoppage to hit a player with a penalty. So think about like how soccer sometimes there's a yellow card, but play continues, you give the advantage, and then you go back retroactively and give it. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Here, here's my thing, Brendan. And this isn't about, I, I think you should, the flopping thing is good, but my take isn't about that. It's about like, is the NBA actually going to like stick with this? We saw a couple years ago, they made these changes to, to push back against some of the, the foul hunting, some of the the extracurricular offensive tendencies we saw from guys to milk free throws and, and really kind of grift. Then they just kind of stopped calling it, I think, without really ever changing the rules, right? Like, they just kind of stopped emphasizing that. Yeah. Are they actually going to follow through with this and, like, make guys stop doing this? The take foul thing, I think, worked, right? Guys, that adapted pretty quickly. But this feels to me more like the foul hunting thing where I, I really wonder if they're actually going to enforce it. And and why do this if you're not actually going to like change the game and do something with it that's actually going to make it more watchable and a better game? Well, the other comp is obviously the last time that they tried to cut down on flopping. When we've already seen them try this before, it was maybe four or five years ago, and I believe Marcus Smart got a fine or two, and I don't remember anyone else. I remember him being kind of the most egregious example of all of it and then they they just it but it was fine based right and then they they just trailed off with it they never really stuck to it and so honestly part of the reason that i anticipate this one will continue is almost because of the difference in punishment i can see that the nba feeling like a fine the next day or two days after a game when you may have already played another game by then or everybody's already forgotten and it does not impact you in any way, shape, or form, and we know the fines are, are tend to be nominal, um, what is that really doing? What, how is that actually like fixing or cleaning up anything related to the game? So I kind of do think this one will stick more than the last flopping trick did because, again, 
it will punish you in the exact moment that you do it and it'll make you think twice right away um as far as the thing a couple of years ago with guys like Harden and Trey Young and others who for the per- first month or so of the season it very much felt like okay wow like we're we're watching something different mm-hmm. and then it didn't by the end of the year I hear you that 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 was an ineffective adjustment, um, but it was like an entire reimagining of how basketball is played, whereas this will just sort of be a slap on the wrist for a very obvious thing that even the most casual fan will point at the screen, kind of like, what is happening there and why is that allowed? Whereas that was like, hey, uh, some of the best players in the NBA who have built their entire game around this, we're going to just like rule change you out of existence and and that's just that's pretty tough to do once you know opening pandora's box back up and everything so that's my take on on why it might be a little bit different but i still will sort of have to see it to believe it because it is so rampant in the nba these days flopping should it's really one of the most unwatchable things about the nba Mm -hmm. well the other part of it too to to circle back to your thing is i don't think this is going to get called on offensive players I think it'll it mostly be. just be defensive players. So like some of the Trey Young, James Harden stuff, I know you weren't saying it's the same type of thing, but yeah. I I don't think we're going to see that go away. Although I do think one thing that stuck that was nice from that is the kickouts and ridiculousness on jump shots, that kind of cheap stuff has sort of been legislated out. So maybe we're making progress, but I think this is going to be on defensive players first and foremost. I think that's right. I also hope we, we get a world where defensive players... Um, you look, the offense has the advantage. I get that's a scoring sport. You want excitement. You want dunks and three pointers. Uh, I think like if I would like a little more of an even playing field at times for the defensive players. It's so hard to build like a really good NBA defense now. It's never been harder. I think in some ways to to have a good defense and also like be a good defensive player. Yeah, honestly, the junk that like Trey and Harden. I know they were kind of the poster boys for that. I mean, to to me, Brendan, that was the Harden Young rule. That was like the Harden hyphen Young rule. That's what that was. Those were the two egregious guys. And I know that drives people crazy, but I guess to me, like that actually is a certain level of, I don't necessarily know if skill is going to be the right uh, connotation to to give off, but uh, ability, let's say, like that actually is sort of an art form to be so junky with what you're doing and, and be focused yeah, but mentally su- on, on doing. <laughs> it just su- Yeah, but it sucks. It sucks. Like it, no, no, no. Like it sucks to watch. Yeah. It does suck. And I'm... Uh, I'm, it, I'm, I'm, I'm about, if you're about to like defend no. this, I was going to get on a plane, I was going to fly to Phoenix, and I was going to be like, all right, Brendan Clean, meet me in town center. We're having a duel, brother. Get your six shooter. My, uh, and that would have been totally appropriate, um, you know, yeah, like the weird alien guy in the Mandalorian in that uh, toward the end of the last season. But the uh, no, 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 not 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 defending that. What I'm doing is saying that that particular are you, about, hey, you, you, the, are you saying the weird alien guy, Cad Bane, the guy who kills spoilers for the Mando kills Timothy Oliphant? Yeah, he doesn't fit in the show. He's very I know he's I know, I know he's canon, but he, okay. he looks okay. like he's from a different world and it's it's bizarre yeah. anyway. Uh, okay. No, so that those two guys, it's a specific uh, kind of symptom and cause and everything. Like, that's not a problem in the NBA. The flailing on jumpers and the foul baiting in the mid-range and kind of extended paint and stuff like that. 
that's unique to those two guys. And I think that's part of why it never really stuck because it's like, all right, I'm officiating Atlanta tonight. Let me change my whole kind of mindset. That That's tough to do. I think the bigger problem on offensive players, to me personally, is guys like Luca and Trey Young who just smash into somebody as they barrel toward the basket. And there's really no art or technique to what they're doing. At least Harden hook, hooks you and kind of like is at least trying to manipulate what a rule actually is. To me, it feels like guys like Luka and Giannis and LeBron and Embiid are just straight up not even following the rules and somehow getting rewarded for it. That's what I kind of hope changes on that end of things is like smacking into another center's chest and then just throwing the ball up in the air is not a foul. Where I think it gets hard with that is, and I, this is, I'm someone who like watched LeBron up close for like a while here in Cleveland and like just watch his whole career. I always felt the times like it's hard to call. He he almost didn't get some foul calls. He should have just because it doesn't look like he's getting hacked. So I, I, it almost feels like that is like they're trying to like exaggerate the contact just to make sure they kind of get the fouls. They're, they're yeah. probably should be getting in the first place. And I kind of understand that more than like, but look, here's the thing. Basketball is at its best to me when it is kinetic, when it is constant motion, when it is flowing, when it is not like bogged down in grift and, it, and it's about the skill. It's about guys like actually like achieving these great things with bits of skill. It's not like rule manipulation. You know what I mean? Like sure. it is not, I don't, I don't, I don't want like, that to me is where like I hope we some of this stuff maybe gets to a place where like it just the game kind of flows a little bit better. I think that should be the ultimate goal of any kind of rule change you make. It should be about game flow and making it so like we're actually getting action and not like you know a game bogged down by referee calls. Sure. All right, let's move on to WA players of the season. Uh, Brennan, before as we dive into this, I want to I want you I'm gonna ask you a question about the broader WNBA season. So the aces obviously are kind of the A side. They're like the juggernaut just kind of waiting here. Has this been an NBA season that has surprised you in any way? Has this been a, a competitive season? Has this been an interesting season? What has been the through line league wide for you before we get into our, our respective lists? Yeah, and it is a good time to ask because this is obviously coming off of All-Star Weekend and a little bit of a pause. This is also the longest season we've ever had. So some of the records and standing stuff that the aces are are pushing for or another player we'll talk about later on are pushing for it's kind of a, a a stopping and standstill point to evaluate if that can actually all happen but i would say it's been a little bit of a disappointing wnba season to me personally and it's been a little bit of a trend and i i don't know i mean there's a lot of factors that play into it but we we have had one or two favorites with no clear third and fourth for several years now outside of the Chicago sky kind of coming out of nowhere in 2021. This is the, you know, several, I don't know what the word would be uh, straight year where it just feels like we know what's going to happen. And, and it definitely feels that way this year. Brianna Jones getting hurt on the Connecticut sun, Elena Deladon with this recurring ankle thing that she's now tweaked a couple of times in Washington have robbed us of kind of those third and fourth teams. And, as we've talked about a lot on the show already, it's not even really a, a 1A and a 1B. It is a 1 and a, and a pretty distant 2 right now between Vegas and, and New York, although that could change. Yeah, I want to see where we get by the playoffs. You know, the Aces just lost their second game. Um, they still just feel kind of inevitable, right? Like, they, they feel like they have the power at their disposal to just kind of run through this if they really want to. I would I would be surprised at this point if they don't win the title. I would be surprised 
if the Aces don't win at all again, they just feel that far ahead. Um, and we'll kind of talk about some of the mechanisms why I think these players, Brennan, do you want, I'll, I'll, I'll go first because I have a very obvious one. It's the easiest pick for me on my board. It's Asia Wilson. Like this is the best player on the best team. She's the center of what they're doing in a lot of ways without having to be top five in scoring or, or top five in like any statistical category. Like it is a very dominant defensive season for her. Leads the league in blocks per game. But like everything works around her. Like the room, the shooters get, the sets they can run. Everything is it starts with her. Jackie Young, Kelsey Plum, Parker. Like their whole team works off of what Asia Wilson is and does. So to me, it's just like, this is the best player in the best team. This is just like, this is the person, by the way, and, and I don't want to leave it this. This is who should be on the cover of the WNBA edition of NBA 2K24. Like yeah. this, is, this is the face of the league right now. This, she's, she's a great personality, a great player. Everything about the WNBA like, should run through Asia, in my opinion, right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll go to another ace just to... I guess, continue the celebration of a great team. And, and it's, to me, their second best player, but also somebody equally irreplaceable on their team. And it's Jackie Young. She leads the WNBA in true shooting percentage. She's shooting almost 50% from deep. She's their best wing defender. She is versatile because she is pretty much a, you know, a big guard and can do things that extend to, you know, effectively like a power forward all the way to a point guard. She's improved over the time that she's been in the league on kind of at everything offensively and two to one plus assist to turnover ratio this year. And the most interesting part of this, and I agree with you, Asia is the best player on the team and her MVP trophies uh, indicate that. But the Aces offense, actually, when when Jackie Young is on the court, is the unit that is kind of the best of any in the WNBA. She has the best like individual offensive rating in the league. And that's a testament uh, in general, but also for a player who wasn't um, thought of to be much of an offensive threat when she came in. That, that, I mean, I know you can't, can't give a player credit in a single season for their development, but she's one of the better development stories in basketball the past, you know, five, 10 years. Yeah. There was a story this week in the Las Vegas sun about her shooting improvement. And some of the quotes were like very sports cliche quotes, right? Like you didn't get like her and Becky Hammond have obviously been in the very, like she was the number one pick played in, played a high level in college. Becky Hammond's Becky Hammond. Like these are people that have been around the media and are not going to like totally just divulge everything. Um, like she gave the, one of the things she gave, which is a classic athlete cliche was aggressive mindset and being confident. That's just like, yeah, what I mean, things can I check, you know, but like it, it feels true. It feels somewhat true as much as yeah. there is work. Like this, this is year five for her. Um, it's a, it's an interesting evolution because I mean, I, so I did a big profile of Arike Gumbawale like two years ago, two and a half years ago and talked to Muffet McGraw, who was both of their coach at Notre Dame. And she asked me not to include this, but I think it's, it's fine to divulge now for the people who might hear this. She was surprised when Jackie Young went first overall in that draft and over Arike. And she was their coach, and she loved both of them. It wasn't even that she thought Jackie Young was some sort of trash player. Part of why Young got picked was because she was younger. But uh, then she gets into this system in Vegas, which is coached by Bill Ambeer, and he just seems to have a, a an, an allergy to his team shooting threes. And I think, like, willfully held her back as a player. And then, and then Becky Hammond comes, 
And Young takes, you know, one, two steps back from wherever she had been shooting because she was a good mid-range shooter. And and it just flows from there and, and the efficiency continues. So just a, a cool story and a cool player and probably not done getting better. So, uh, yeah, very exciting. I, I, I agree Asia, Asia would be the pick if you had to pick an ace. But since you took her, I uh, I went a different place. All right, let's go to a player we both have on our list. And that's, I think, the favorite to win MVP right now. A player who I think at age 28 is arguably having her best season as a as a pro. Mm-hmm. That's Brianna Stewart, the head of what she is. What the Liberty are not necessarily a super team, but she is what makes them super. Is is the way that I would that I would say it. Yeah, I mean, she to me is. We don't have to have this debate, but to me, she's the best player in the WNBA. And yeah, I I I I think it's her in Asia one two in that order. That would yeah. be my that would be my list. And it's and it's really a, a, a versatility, a, a, an overall impact, and a degree of difficulty thing. And it's always tricky to sort of say, well, one player has worse teammates, and they do the same amount or more, so therefore they're better. I mean, better is subjective and everything else. But I just think the, that what Stewie is able to do in all aspects of the game, she's leading the league in rebounding. She has a career high in assists already, uh, not total, but you know per game. Second in the league in scoring. All of that with completely new teammates. And the biggest stat that I have for her is she has a plus 11 net rating. Uh, when uh, They have a plus 11 net rating when she's on, and they are minus eight when she's off. No other player on the team is anywhere near that differential of, of plus 19, and she theoretically plays for a super team, right? So it shouldn't be that way. I know that like Steph Curry off is one of the Warriors' biggest issues, but... You know, they got Kevin Durant and that that wasn't too big of a problem. Like it should not be this way for the Liberty. And, you know, that's a separate issue, but she's doing everything she can to make them great. And look, I mean, as much as they might not be like a a, a bet, a good bet to beat Vegas, they are very clearly the second best team in the league. And that that's not nothing. Well, look, I, I think you could see a world where she's averaging the most points she's ever had on a per game basis this year, which is not nothing. Um, three point volume is uh, near as high as ever been, on, and the best percentage at at, a, at five a game. Incredibly deadly in twos again, which is just not a surprise. But that even you could see maybe that gets a little bit better from from where it's been in years past. Um, she had like one, she has one outlier year in, in the twos where she's at fifty seven point six percent on twos in twenty eighteen. It's never been quite that high, but she's above fifty percent. That's very good. I like there's a world, Brendan, where she is like nuclear for like enough and like they get just enough for everybody else. Like they can make that. I, it wouldn't shock me if that happens. Right. Like I wouldn't be like, that's implausible. It just it would feel like like what's a good comp for like this team, this Liberty team beats the aces. Is it like 2018 Cavsy? Like, is it is it that level? of? No, I, I would say it's probably like 2016 Cavs. Right. I mean, OK. Yeah, 20, so look, 2019 like, Raptors. Although I don't want to put that on the Aces, that that would that would take us in a direction that's sad. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think that's right. I mean, it, it, that's why I keep holding out and kind of giving the caveat when we talk about this. Is it's like it's not un unrealistic or or crazy. I think the Liberty are a deeper team, one right, and I think they they have probably you would say a a better defensive ceiling right than the aces have depending on who's on the court for them and the best player right so like that's why we talked about it the way we did at the beginning of the season it's just well now the games have been played and we feel a little differently but 
I also think there's an element. It, this offense is is more complicated than anything Stewie's played in, anything probably any of these players have ever played in, and and that is very obvious when you watch them. Um, that combined with the defensive lineups, maybe not the best defensive lineups, maybe not being the best overall talent lineups, and the awkwardness of that. It's all kind of heading in that direction. But I had Stewie as well on my team, so I don't think you I don't think you could make a list like this and not. No, I had two locks. They were Asia Wilson and Brandon Stewart. All right, Brennan, who is who is your next one? Yeah, let's go with Alyssa Thomas. So okay. she is. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm sure most people finding this uh, on YouTube as a clip are going to have been watching the WNBA and seeking out content about it. But if maybe our our normal listeners or some of the people watching the full show are finding this, and Alyssa Thomas is not a household name like these other players we've been talking about so far. Watch the Connecticut Sun. She is a freak. She is a one-woman fast break at any time. She can get it and go and, and actually generate a good shot. She is leading the league in assists and steals and is second in rebounding. And she basically has not ever fully recovered from two torn labrums. So this is a person who cannot lift her arms like above her head and, and is still doing this. Uh, she's 31, maybe having her best season ever. And I would personally have her probably second in MVP voting ahead of either ace. And that is partially because they cancel each other out, but partially because Alyssa Thomas is that good. Uh, I believe set a record for most uh, triple doubles in the NBA season a couple weeks ago, which is not nothing, you know, like that itself is, is incredibly impressive. She, that team is, First team to beat the Aces, and it wasn't because of her, right? It was that was the Dewana Bonner goes explosion. off game, yeah. it just utter explosion. But I would agree with that she's been the best player on that team. She is the reason close. that, like, no, and I and I think you could uh, she would be the reason that if they got into a series against, let's say, a Mystics team that isn't healthy, and that that might be where they're headed with 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 the lane injury and all the other kind of knocks that team has picked up, or if they just get the Liberty on their side of the bracket and Liberty, just like something we didn't really say about them is it's their first year together. Like there is a cohesion and there's not as many games and it is like a whole process. You bring all this together for them. Like wouldn't shock me if like she has a monster series and they win and then they're like in the finals or something, right? Like that, that wouldn't shock me. And it'd be because of, it would be because of Alyssa Thomas. Like she is the reason that if you want to watch the sun, like that to me is like the reason to check to chase down that team. It's because of Alyssa Thomas. Yeah, a little bit more uh, freedom for her uh, under the new coach Stephanie White, and she has a thirty-seven percent usage rate. Uh, sorry, assist rate as uh, effectively like a, a center, a, a point center who because she can handle the ball can play with other bigs, but is is really you know a center, and like yeah, just just her basketball reference page is is a marvel. At the top of it is. Position forward shoots colon and then it has left crossed out because that's what she used to do and now she shoots right handed like she's just an athlete that that makes no sense and I love her so uh, yeah she she is has to be on any group that defines this team because of how great they've been and the fact that it's her best year even into her thirties. All right, my next one, Ryan Howard, Atlanta Dream. Uh, I have, this is something I'm going to, this is what I pulled from Jack Maloney's, uh, most recent power rankings. He pulled, these are stats from Jack. You should go read his power rankings at CPS every week. Uh, they had a recent five game winning streak, their longest winning streak as a franchise since 2018. It's half a decade. 
Howard over that stretch, 24.2, 4.2 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 2.2 steals, and shooting 55.8% over that stretch. That's an incredible dominant stretch for last year's rookie of the year. And, and look, maybe this is me in my bubble a little bit, Brendan, and, and maybe it's just because that team isn't the highest profile team at this point in time. But to me, and especially with some of the other posts coming into, into the league in the next couple of years, I, I, wanna, I think it's going to be really important to not lose track of the fact that Ryan Howard is great and is only going to get better. And if the, the dream become something, not that they're, this isn't a top contender this year, but if they get there a year, two years, three years, it's going to be on Ryan Howard's shoulders. It's going to be because she just keeps hitting these higher, higher levels. And she was, she's, she's been awesome this year, was awesome last year, but that five-game stretch was just chef kiss stuff from her. Yeah, the 43-point game against the Sparks I watched, and when she's on, there's really nothing like it in basketball. And it's funny for somebody so talented because it almost does feel like aggressiveness is is one of the things holding her back. And part of that is rounding out her game, right? I don't know if she fully trusts her handle to kind of create advantages against, you know, one-on-one or, or running a pick and roll. She knows where the ball should go, but I don't think she necessarily is always all, all the way there as just a, like, playmaker, passer, creating kind of for her teammates and whatnot. But when she's going, you're kind of like, well, it feels like you do have all of that. You know what I mean? And and she would have been on my list if if you didn't take her, but I saw yours uh when I was making mine. So I, I didn't I didn't put her on. But yeah, I mean she she kind of has like the way I've always thought of her comp wise is like what Diana Taurasi's yeah. old person game has become. Not what <laughs> Diana Taurasi was when she was young, because that was like, you know, Kobe type of like just everywhere, Maya Moore. Arike Gumbawale type of scoring, but uh, Ryan is like what Diana is now, except she's starting with that incredible shooting ability and working inside and, and working as a passer and everything. I mean, just the threat of her coming off of screens and, and playing as an off-ball shooter and scorer is enough to to freak out a defense, let alone whatever she's going to become because she was pretty young when she came out of the draft. She's only 23. Yeah, look, she comes. She can come across the lane, and it's like just make these tough middies, and it's like you have that skill, that size as a guard, like you're in a really, really good spot, and like it, it unlocks so much for you as a scorer if you can make these tough buckets. You can be with the like what the kids call a Hooper without needing to be even dominant, and then you're also willing to spot up and space around the floor for others. Like that's such a versatile, amazing piece to have. Quick aside on the Mercury, Brendan. Um, yeah. Tough times, eh? <laughs> yeah, uh, fired their coach. Um... The team doesn't make sense. It doesn't have Skylar Diggins Smith on it. And yeah, not not a great, not a great year. And they were injured for a lot. So um no, no Mercury players on this. But no, I mean Ryan also has elite athleticism. She is a defensive playmaker when she's locked in on that end. She can kind of clamp you on in isolation. She can create turnovers and then, you know, get out into transition and, and make something happen. She's six two as basically like you said, a guard. Uh that's that's pretty scary. I mean, she's the same height as Alyssa Thomas, who I was just calling a center. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's something else. Big guard. I'm a, I'm a sucker for big guards in, in general. And this is just like, yeah, like the, the, the shooting and, and creation skill set for her is just, it's so well-rounded and like can kind of, if you put the ball in her hands wherever on the floor, I would feel very comfortable. She's going to make tough jumpers, tough middies, tough threes. Like she's, she's just, 
She's about those buckets. Is what I would what I would what I would say. Jewel Lloyd, let's go to another Bruh. guard on my list, which uh, is uh, yeah, Gold Mamba, Gold Mamba, Gold Mamba. Yes, uh, she might break the single season WNBA record for total points, which uh, currently spots number one and two are owned by Tana Tarasi, but uh, Jewel is is headed there, and obviously some of that longer season than we've ever had as I was talking about to start this off. But the impressive part of this with Jewel Lloyd is the last time she had a season without Sue Bird or, or Brianna Stewart, they both were injured in 2019. She had the least efficient season of her career and the highest turnover rate. And right then and there, you would have looked at it and just said, okay, she needs others, right? She, In order to be an efficient player, she needs to be set up and have the floor spacing and have you know, size and, and whatever to, to balance the floor, spread things out and, and make her her best. This year, she's proving that completely wrong. She has an astronomical usage rate, but is the second most efficient season she's ever had and the lowest turnover rate. So she has transported what made her special as a third best player or even sometimes, you know, fourth to being the best player on what is a bad team, but is... yeah. Still, that's that's impressive. You can't take. I mean, if somebody's making shots efficiently, that that does it doesn't matter what the talent is. And if anything, you might give her a bump up because the rest of it is so bad. Well, look, and, and it's this is a this is her team now, right? This has been the transition to this being her team. This is the transition to this being a, a new era for the storm. And like, she's kind of had to shoulder some of that for a team that, as you said, isn't very good. There are bright spots. You know, they got Gabby Williams back. They have Ezzy. Like, they have interesting players, but it hasn't resulted in, in wins yet. The standard that Bird and Stewie kept up here for so long, just it isn't there at the rest. And that's not Jewel Ed's fault, but she's 29. She's in her prime. It, it's kind of like this is this is her chance to kind of be some of this now. And that in itself is, is kind of interesting context to watch her in for me in a different way. Right? Like, it, it's it's a whole different... It's it's She's obviously been through this before when there was injuries to those players, particularly Stewie missed year with the, the Achilles. But this is this is like this is your franchise now, and that's such an interesting place. But there's a, uh, in in an episode of me shouting out pieces. Uh, Lindsay Jark, Lindsay Ark, D Ark, I can't pronounce her last name. D Arch Angel Angelo at the Athletic wrote about Julie. Went and talked to her head coaches, quotes from the coaches there as well. Um, but it's a good portrait of where she's at at, at age 29. Yeah, very very confident. You know, very. Very indicative of of kind of, you know, taking inspiration from Kobe. But, you know, she she would have told you this season was coming and she's always been one of the better bucket getters. But a lot of those players aren't valuable in the W. Not They're not always efficient. They're not always driving winning. I mean, Arike Gumbawale is not on our list, right? She's having an awesome season. She's a very talented bucket getter, but she's not efficient. And, and, that, and for that reason, you know, sometimes the team statistically looks better when she's not out there. Whereas Jewel is, is kind of the opposite. This is the worst team in the W, but she, they are getting outscored by 23 points per hundred possessions when she's off the court versus only like four when she's on like that. The impact is almost as great as Stewie. It's just a bad team. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of the Dallas wings, I have Tier McCowan. This is also from Jack Maloney. Uh, they're six and three with her in the lineup, four and six without her. And in and in McCowan's 238 minutes, they have a plus 13.1 net rating. The second team to beat the Aces. This is the most important player on that team that has that is somewhere in the standings, that is somewhere of note um, in the playoff hunt. She's been their most important player. There are very, as the stats and as the film and the record indicates, 
but it's just a different team when she's been on the floor for them. Uh, they, they, and it's, uh, she missed nine games. Like that's not nothing, but she, if she can be healthy the rest of the year, be around the rest of the year, they're going to be in a really good spot to, to be a very hard out. I think when we get to the real stuff. It's interesting. I, the stats obviously are, are unmistakable. She has the best net rating on the team and, and that record and everything else. It's just, it's unorthodox to think of her as the most important player on that team, but mm-hmm. she might be. I just worry with players like that. You know, I would have said Natasha Howard, and then while you were talking, I looked and her net rating is, is just fine. I, I think that's not the, the end-all, be-all. I think Natasha Howard has, as she does with a lot of teams that she's been on, give, gives you a, a pretty unique look as a, a big who can defend and shoot. Like that, That's just sort of a cheat code in basketball, so she's going to have that impact. But the ability with the, the more sort of defense into offense and physical style that they're trying to play, taking the ball out of Arike's hands a little bit more and, and playing to some other strengths, McCowan's size is just such a difference maker. That is a big reason that they were competitive in those two games against the Aces and beat them in one of them. Um, it's just, uh, we talked about the Aces after that game a little bit, and at the end of it, Asia just isolated her and she couldn't stop her. I know it's Asia Wilson, but that's just the tough thing with a, a traditional center who has that type of size is they are exploitable in certain ways, so... It's a, I mean, if, if it gets them over the hump and into the playoffs, like it's a conversation for a different day, but um, it, it is a question. I, I do will just add that I, uh, as much as she can be inefficient, uh, Arike is really fun to watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Arike and, is and, and probably a better season awesome. for Arike, I would say, this year overall. Mm-hmm. I mean, efficiency is still going to be a question, but she's buying in. Her usage is down a little bit, and... They're winning. So, I mean, what else can you ask for? She, would you, how seriously would you take them as like, as like an upset possibility in the playoffs? Probably not much. Um, but I mean, the early rounds, you know, it's best of three and, and anything can happen. But I, I think they had some clutch issues at the beginning of the year. So maybe their record actually could be even better. And maybe I would feel differently if that wasn't the case. I just think offensively what they are when when games do kind of tighten up is a question. Can they, for an entire close fourth quarter, get great shots consistently is a, is a question. And, and Satu Saboli has been awesome too. She could have easily been on this list. So they have options. I don't know if it'll come together in time to like take that big of a step forward, I guess. This this is just how far ahead the Aces are in the West right now. They're 19-2. and two. The Wings are second and they're 11-9. and nine. Yeah. I think I saw. I There's, think I saw that uh, somewhere too. I mean, it's right there, but yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I just like I was like, all right, what's the standings right now? And it's like the Aces are nineteen and two, the Wings are eleven and nine, and the Lynx are nine and eleven in the third place team in the Western Cup. <laughs> Weird league, right? Yeah, um, uh, that Aces team is also just like it's just ridiculous. That team, like we had, we did a whole segment on this, like what two episodes ago. That mm-hmm. team is just like. Like, very good argument that that's the most dominant team in the NBA or the WNBA right now. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, they, I think they, I, the unselfishness and, and two-way ability and the fit of all the players, it's something else. Yeah. AKA right, why your, we had two Aces players on our list and probably could have had at least two more, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you could have um, you could have just done like, let's run down the list, the Aces starting five and called it a day if you really wanted to, but we didn't. Yeah. 
All right. My last one is Aaliyah Boston. This is the one, Brendan, that I was too much of a coward to put on because I'm like, am I putting the cart too much ahead of the horse for a team that has now lost a bunch of games in the row, but is like certainly better now that she is there and she's been awesome like from the get go. There's no doubt about it. But I was like, am I, am I, am I putting my, the cart a little bit too ahead of the horse there? So I went in a different direction. But Ali Boston, talk about it. I just think you feel it sometimes with rookie seasons, you know, I, in both leagues i think asia had this i think stewie had this i think Brittany griner had this 10 years ago go in the nba luca lebron anthony davis i mean a lot of those players were number one overall picks but so was she and you know that doesn't always mean you're you're destined for success i think she's just that type of player she's already one of the more effective productive and valuable players in the league and yes they've lost a bunch in a row but that includes, as they've had all year, a bunch of very narrow losses, including one to the Aces. Just the last game they played before we recorded this was heading into the All-Star break against the Liberty, which went to overtime. Like They are that frisky young team that, most, not mostly, largely because of her, is, is way more competitive than you would think they have any right to be. She's making a three to send that game to overtime. Like There's just stuff happening where you're like this is a special player I, I know that's not the best analysis but all the stats back it up too yeah i have she's the reason they're taking stuff forward like to me it's like that organization is going to change because she's there i i really think it might be as simple as that to me brendan um that's the kind of player that changes your culture that's what that's been and if they get lucky in the draft next year off and cooking Who's the who's the perfect player of that class to pair with her to like get them to, from like where they are now to to top two or three team in the East? Who's the who's this the right coming year? Yeah, I mean any of the guards really. To be honest, I, I like kind of the physicality that they have. If you add Melissa Smith in there, um, mm-hmm. so maybe I lean like Van Lith or, or Becker's a little bit over Clark, although Clark is plenty. It, Caitlin Clark is going to be a, a team unto herself. So I almost wonder if there's like too much going on and you want somebody that's a little more, you know, playmaker first scoring, you know, as a distant second type of thing. But it's nice to win and, and develop and still get a nice high pick, which is where they're headed. Yeah, my my brain, if they couldn't get Clark or, or Beckers, I, I if they end up with like the fifth pick or something and those two off the board, it would be Van Lith just because she's so tough. Like, not the same shot maker, not the same size you're getting in terms of Beckers or, or Clark, but, like, may, probably the number one shit talker among those players. Yeah. Which and, like, hurt. even if you ended up... Yeah, right. And if you ended up with, like, Georgia Moore, like, I wouldn't hate that, right? Like, someone who can, who can really shoot it, someone who can still, like, run your point. Like, I think there's good options for them. It's good that it's a lot of guards and they need a guard. Like, that's, yeah. that's nice. They already have their front yeah, court of they, the future with Smith and Boston, and, yeah. and it's just... Which of these yeah. great options do we get to add to the backcourt? Yeah, or if they get lucky and like one of the guards they want off the board, or th- let's say they're third and like maybe the guards somehow go like one, two or something, and another team like really wants like Cameron Brinker and Joe Reese, they could be like, give us all of your stuff. And they sure. would be in a really good position, really good position for them, yeah. I would say long term. And it starts with Lee Boston. All right, my last one will go quick and listen to Fessa Collier. Um, what comes back after giving birth, leads the league in made field goals so far. And is now like the lead, like the Lynx are not kind of at their apex anymore, obviously. Like it is a different era for that franchise as well. I kind of have a, a theme with some of these things, Brendan, but she's, she's like the, the, the tentpole of that team now. Um, it, it's her show and she's, you know, maybe not at the level of an Asia Wilson or, or whatever, 
but I think she's been really great, has made a ton of field goals, and is like I is the driver of that team that is third in the West right now. And it's still the links. And so I, I went with Nafisa Collier. Yeah, to me, Nafisa is she's been I, I think I wrote a column about her rookie year when I was covering the league and I actually had an awards vote and I voted her rookie of the year without a doubt over Enrique and and gave her she was on my MVP ballot. She's been one of the best two-way players since the minute she stepped on a WNBA court last year was a, a down year, obviously, and only played four games. But, you know, she has hovered around 60% true shooting on a pretty high usage, as well as one of the more versatile defenders since the minute she was a pro. And she's also adding more legitimate shot creation and, you know, kind of isolation scoring as she goes here in year five. So I'm just, I mean, I'm one of her biggest fans and I hope that they can kind of reset this thing and, and put her in a position to be on a competitive team sooner rather than later again, because I think she's good enough to be probably the best player on a championship team. Also, she is involved with Brianna Stewart, her former UConn teammate on this new league. And I'm really curious to see her as one of the faces of that and, and maybe become a little bit more well-known as a result of of being involved there. I think that's going to be a really cool way for her to kind of, she's like a, she's like a pretty quiet, like there's, there's a column about her in her hometown paper that the St. Louis dispatch this week um, that talked around. It's like very, very calm person, but like, that's the kind of thing where I think like her profile might get bigger result of being at the, at the forefront of this. I mean, she did like a sports interview mm-hmm. about it, which is, which is not nothing for, for the W players. Any, uh, anyone you cut that you wanted to put on? Uh, some of the ones you had, I mean, Asia and Ryan specifically probably would have, would have been on my list if I wasn't just making content, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and then I, I think Kelsey Plum and Chelsea Gray deserve a massive shout out for what they're doing on the aces. Um, I've liked watching Courtney Vandersloot this year with the Liberty. If I had to pick another New York player, it would probably be her. I think she's slid into a role the most easily with that team and kind of makes them hum, which is not a surprise as the, you know, all-time assist leader in the sport. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's uh, it, the, the all-star game, which we are recording before is going to be fun. There's, there's a lot of star talent in the league right now. Yeah. League's in a great place. Those are our players that have defined the season so far. If you have your own, drop it below. Um, but let's get into the 2018 redraft. Uh, do you want to, do you want the first pick or the second pick? Well, the second pick is where it's going to get interesting. So, okay. You I'll, can have the I'll second see, pick. Let, you can have the second no, pick. I'll let, no, no, no. I'll let, I'll let you be spicy. Okay. 2018 draft in case people forgot. Yeah, let's talk this about the, this one this, big picture for a minute before we dive into yeah. that. At least for a couple minutes sure. because it's crazy. It's super talented. Yeah, so here's here's the top. Here are some of the notable players from that draft. Luka Doncic. DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson III, Trey Young, Wendell Carter, Shea, ever heard of him, Mikael Bridges, Michael Porter Jr., who just won an NBA title, Kevin Herter's in this class, Afrani Simons in this class, Robert Williams in this class, Jalen Brunson is in this class, Mitchell Robinson, Gary Trent, Colin Sexton, Bruce Brown, Jared Vanderbilt, D'Anthony Melton, uh, Keita Bates-Diop, like there, there's a lot of interesting players. Costas on the Kumpo was the 60th pick in the draft. Um, and some less interesting. Some less interesting. 
there's one player, Miles Bridges, who I am not interested in talking about. Uh, I will not be picking him, pick and him we're, we're going to excise him from this. Mobamba, who had a Chuck West song named after him and now plays for the 76ers in this draft. Yeah, I mean, um, look, it's like, I think, going on here. I think maybe the best way to put it is, by my count, like somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 of these guys, and sometimes it gets a little weird with second round picks because they get their second contracts in a different way than first round picks do, but like a dozen of these dudes got legitimate second contracts from the team that drafted them, like big money, mm -hmm. real contracts, not just like we'll bring you back on the qualifying offer type of thing. That's pretty crazy. Um, so, you know, that in and of itself, I think says quite a bit about where we are in terms of this draft, not only having four all-stars already, but a few guys who very easily could make it in the next few years. Plus, you know, we're talking another 10 to 20 guys on top of that, that are at least right now, while we have the, you know, five years in pretty good role players. So I think this yeah. is one of those drafts we're going to look back on and be like, that kind of replenished the NBA in a way. And I think at the very, very top, you have two like bona fide, no doubt, number ones on really great teams. You have two of those guys in this draft, one of whom went third, one of whom went 11th. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm, I feel like we're going to disagree as soon as two then based on what you just said. So let's go. All right. So you're going one. I'm going. One. I'm taking Luca one. I mean, this this is obvious. Like it's, it's Luca. He's. Gun to the MVP at some point. He's an offensive orbit onto himself. He is an absolute monster. You know, certainly things you could pick at him about, but it's because he set the standard so high already for what he already is. Um, and on and Brendan, in retrospect, him not going one is insane. Him not being the first overall pick. I look. I understand the Suns connection and like all this. You don't. Okay. No, I was I'm, gonna I'm be saying nice. it doesn't even really matter who. If it had not been the Suns at number one, and they did not employ his his national team coach and, and the craziness around all of that, it still would have been insane. That's why I was shaking my head. Like, like he, he should have gone one. He's the best player in this class. He, he's, he's just unfathomably good. And I, 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 in, like I, I couldn't believe he didn't go one at the time. I couldn't believe he didn't go second at the time. I couldn't believe Atlanta traded off of him. Like, I, I think everyone overthought the Luka thing in retrospect. It, it very much feels that way to me. So I, I kind of want to return to Vic for a moment and we don't have to talk too much about Luca because it is a no-brainer and there will be more to debate. This is, I was kind of thinking about him a little bit more because I know I was bouncing off some, some hot take-ish nonsense around with, with Ricky and, and others as we were getting ready for the draft of like, is, is Victor really like, you know, up to some of the other guys? He's obviously a no-brainer number one in this class and, and has the potential to be really special. And I think where I came down is it's much more about upside versus kind of floor versus ceiling as a prospect. Um, I think that the floor that Luca came into is to me, uh, having very closely cared about that draft because I lived in Phoenix and covered the Suns and wanted them to take him. The, the, the important kind of differentiator is I think he was the most NBA ready prospect that we have had since guys had to stay in college for three, four years. Like mm -hmm. you're talking Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, whatever level of uh, Hakeem, whatever you want to point to, like maybe Tim Duncan, right? Like, but that's the level that he was at as soon as he came into the NBA. And that's just different. So I, I, I think the ceiling conversation is where it gets different. But 
I don't get how people missed on Luca. He he was the best player in the second best player in the second best league on earth at age 18. And it just I it it's it's one thing to like look back and be like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Michael Jordan didn't go number one, but this was obvious in the moment. So it it's a it's a crime. Um I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but I can go number two. No, go to, let's go to two. Jaron Jackson uh, Jr. I, I think you're right. Is my is my number two. Really, the only thing that was holding me back from it is the injuries. Uh, and those were a concern this. dating back to college. So, you know, obviously we're doing a redraft, so we're allowed to use the five years of evidence. But also, even at the time, yeah. that was, a, that was a, a question, was the health. He had some stuff in college and whatnot. But the dude is, I think, soon going to be close to as good of an offensive player as he already is defensively. And he is just a, a slow, raw, big man that is taking time to develop, but he just won defensive player of the year. And what he showed us in the playoffs is like, yeah, I can, I can do a little bit on offense too. Like just watch. And if, if that comes along, I mean, you know, he might be the best player on the Grizzlies before long. This is bold to me. I think okay. he's great. He he would have been third for me. He was. I had he a went very ahead clear of top Luka three. in the real draft. This is not like a a deep pull. What, what's so bold? I I just I think if I'm redrafting to build, like I'm picking this in terms of picking the best guy that helped me win a title. I think there's someone who I'm going to pick third who I would have ahead of him, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But like defense player of the year, I think maybe on a permanent basis, the best defender in the league, switchable, can do it all. I think we talked about this a lot last year. Has added a bunch to his offensive game in a really impressive way. That is not nothing for him. Um, while he is going to be, I think, if they, if they can hum as much as like Marcus Smart will help and all of that stuff, if they, if they hum while Ja is suspended, it's going to be because of Triple J. I, I think on both ends of the floor, him taking another step forward will be a really big deal. He's great. I just think there's someone whose skill set I would value a little bit more if I'm redrafting. But he, look, to be clear, he was my three. If you had gone to who I thought you were going to go with, and I've already tipped my hand to this at two, I was going to go with him at three because he is a two-way monster. He is a defensive savant. He is all of the things that you outlined. Go to number three. Shake out Alexander. Yeah. I think I, am, I lose I, my Shea card for not taking, I mean, I've, yeah, been, I've been the biggest <laughs> champion and then I get my chance to just do it and I don't. Yeah. I'm creating a bunch of burners to comment on YouTube and said, Brendan hates Shea and Canada is what I'm going to do. Well, you'll probably be the only Thunder fan on the internet at that point. So. That was rude. That's I don't me know. And me. I love the Thunder. Yeah, that I, was... like, they're like my, my team. I've, I've watched, <laughs> I literally think outside of the one that Chet didn't play, I've watched every single <laughs> Thunder Summer League game start to finish. Like, I'm obsessive. So it's a joke. I'm kidding. Killing me. Kill, killing me, Brendan. All right. So, Shay. Shay to me is clearly a guy who is going to or could be the best guy in a team that makes the conference finals, that makes the NBA finals. He can do it all on offense. He can hit pull ups. He can get to the rim. He can draw fouls. He has so much craft in his scoring arsenal that I, I don't think people like understand it enough. And I think it's partially because he's in Oklahoma City. Like I think that is unfortunately part of it because he just hasn't gotten the national TV push I think he deserves at this point. He's also a really good defender. He's also just this big, long guy that can defend multiple spots, can do a bunch of different schematic stuff with you. I cannot wait for the next five years of his career with this Thunder core. I think him and Chet as a two-man game is going to be wicked. I think him spraying to shooters and playing quicker and doing whatever he needs to do to hit the next level is is ridiculous. And he has this built-in advantage at his size 
to be this bigger guard and hit tough shots, and he's so calm and controlled. He just is the complete package to me at this guard spot. So I, I go Shea here, and it, and it wasn't really a big hard decision for me. So I I agree with most of what you said. I, I really like Shea. I think the things that I'm looking for from him are, does he ever take threes in his career? Does that ever become a comfortable part of his game? Do those pull-up threes, do those pull-up jumpers become threes? Because I kind of think that they need to for him to be, I guess, in part, the best version of himself. But what I would say specifically is the best version of himself on a a more balanced team. Because as special as what he did this year was at age 24 to handle the burden that he did and and be effective, be efficient, be uh, so much of a positive when he's out there and everything else, that's not what he's going to play like when he's on a great team, right? And that's partially on on the thunder they built a young team and, and Gideon and Jay will or, or J-Dub were not ready for uh, to, to do more of that I think they will be more this year as well as Chet but he's not going to have a 33 percent usage and a 26 percent assist rate probably on on the best version of this team and he's probably also going to take more than you know uh 10 percent of his shots from three-point range I would hope so, and I, as much as I think he's a good team defender and everything else, I don't think he's some sort of stopper. So that's, that's a no. little bit of it. Um, is just sort of, I, I, what is the version of Shea that combines sort of what he was when he was a, a, a tertiary guy and what he was last year? Is that version like an MVP caliber player still, or did he benefit a little bit from the usage and, and, and production because that was sitting there for him this particular season? I don't think that's, I don't think any of that's unreasonable. I think certainly he's not. I think with the offensive burden he has, the defensive stuff has has changed a little bit. Like there's a different world where he is on a different kind of career path, and I think his defense and his and his profile looks different. But I think we got to see the ceiling from him because he left the Clippers and ended up at the head of whatever is being built in Oklahoma City. Like he is the guy there. Um, the three point thing is interesting. I think that's also really fair. He took two point five a game last year. That was less than half than what he took the year before. Which yeah, is really, which just is like weird, right? Because it's like he yeah. he kind of got to do what he's most comfortable doing, and that's what you ended up with. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Yeah, I, and I I think that's fair. I'm curious to see this year with Chet, um, with another year under there. I think they have Chip Allen in the house now. Like they have. Mm-hmm. If it's gonna might happen, it might happen this year. And that's the thing I, I is also he look, can shoot right. Like that's that's the, yeah. he can make 90, them. So 80% on free throws every year, 90% from the free throw line last yeah. year. Um, He's going to make them. And I think over time too, and that's part of what I'm talking about. If Gideon and J-Dub have the ball in their hands more, then he'll get spot ups, which he just sort of didn't get last year because the ball was just in his hands constantly. Um, All right. Who are you taking fourth? Yeah, this one's quick. We don't really have to spend too much time on it. Trey Young is fourth for me. Okay. I still think despite being one of the worst defenders in the league at his, with his size questions, as well as just sort of effort and awareness, I think... He is an offense, and he's not just a good offense. He is a great offense just by being on an NBA court suited up and having a basketball out there. And so that is one of the most irreplaceable things that you can have in in, in basketball. And as much as he does have all those other questions, like that's that's right there. I'm not going to take that for granted. So he goes fourth. I think that's a great pick. Um, he be hard to pick him lower than this just considering what he's accomplished and what he is even you could project some things with other guys but what he is in his age and everything and the passing i think still to some much degree is underrated for him 
we don't like think about it enough and what he is. Uh, I, I think four is very reasonable. All right, I'll go to five. I'm taking your guy. I'm taking Mikael Bridges. Insane defender. The scoring flashes we saw at the end of last year. Here, here's what I would say where I'm at with Mikael Brennan. I don't know if what we saw at the end of last year is ultimately the best version of where he ends up, right? I don't know if that's something that's going to gonna hold for the next version of the Nets. Maybe they get Dame and, and whatever. Maybe they go another star in a year, or maybe they get some young guys in there that develop, whatever it is. But I, what that guy is as a defender, what that guy is as some more ability to score, what the guy is as a shooter, that's just like the, the perfect kind of wing I think every team would want. There's a reason teams were offering tons of picks for him. There's a, there's a reason why he was such a coup to get in the KD deal, even with all the other picks. That guy is like, the, like without being the uber, uber, uber star, is the perfect modern NBA wing. And he, I cannot wait to watch him continue to grow more in Brooklyn next year. It's going to be one of the, the more fun, non-title like picture storylines I think we're going to have. Never missed a game in his career either. And, and just uh, some, some poetic, I don't want to say justice, but a bit of poetry is because of the Nets trade, he actually ended up playing 83 games last year because it's just like that. Um, well, one of them was like he checked in and checked out. And honestly, I call Fugazi on that. That's just me personally, though. Well, he's chasing AC Green. He has a long way to go. He's got to play a lot more games. But they, if you it. go back and read the AC Green thing, there's a lot of that in his as well, yeah. where it's like a little chicanery. So. so let me ask you this quickly on, on Bridges. 27 games down the stretch of the season as a net. And some people would tell you that's kind of the fake part of the season, right? 48% shooting, 38% from three, seven free throw attempts, which is is probably the craziest part of that, 26 points per game. Five playoff games, or sorry, four playoff games and a sweep at the hand of the Philadelphia 76ers, 24 points per game, only 43% shooting, and uh, 5.8 trips to the free throw line, which is still good, but not quite as good. Mikhail Bridges is the ex-best player on a championship team based on what we know right now at age 26. I'm going to say second. Really? I think third. I think I think third, if I'm being an optimist, it's second, but I think third if the team is really, really stacked. But I could see a model. Like, if he was the second best on, like, a Luka team, or Maybe kind of like if it. you had, like, an aging Chris Paul and, like, a, a budding superstar Devin Booker, and then Mikhail Bridges could maybe kind of slide right in there on a that. balanced team. That, yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah. Say so I'm going to say second... I'm going to say second if it's the right circumstance. So a little caveat. Sure. All right. Number six for me is Jalen Brunson. Is that is that a hot yeah. take or is that? No, I, I, I he was he was next for me. OK, so how, how could it how could it not be considering what he's done the last two playoffs? Like what he did to you and I specifically. Right. I mean, come on. We, yeah. We what both, he what we he has watched what, him rip, what rip he's our been, team's throats out. Look what he, he has Taking Donovan Mitchell's soul two playoffs in a yeah, row. That too. Donovan, me, and you. We all have that in common, the handshake emoji, but, yeah. but a third one in there. I think, um, yeah, to me, it's just showing what he could do with high usage and still be efficient and the toughness, the ability to get to the free throw line, the footwork, the ability to kind of quietly make team make teammates better, not in the traditional point guard way of like, I'm going to get 15 assists one night, but I'm going to get off the ball and then get back on it if I need to types of things. He's a great shooter. Uh, I don't... I don't think he's an amazing defender, but I think his toughness and effort means that he's never going to be just like a, a five alarm fire when he is attacked. It, it's just going to be kind of like, damn it, but that's it. And that's fine for a great player on offense. So he's six for me. 
no notes. I think he's the six with a bullet. Um, I think he. I think he has proven himself to be just one of the most steady, reliable guys we have leading offenses right now. Um, By the way, went let, let 33rd me this. in the real draft. Yeah. After winning National Player of the Year, everybody knew that Mikhail was better than him, but DiVincenzo going over him is is probably the craziest part from that Plymouth team, and him uh, falling to the second round is just bad. There there are some guards who went ahead of in that draft in a retrospect. It's a little... Yeah, yeah. Little but it's dicey. just funny with the... Uh, and, and Omari Spellman went ahead of him. Right, who yeah. became the subject of uh, some unfortunate <laughs> rep- rumors around coming what his up teammates next, said our, about him. Here, if I was we were doing like hot takes for Trudeau, I'd be like, coming up next, are all NBA teams bad at drafting? Here's why Jalen Brunson says yes, and that that'd be our segue into like a uh, ad read for local car car dealership. What were you going to ask me about him? He's the X best player on a, a championship oh, team. Same question. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it, he does pose some team building questions, right? Unlike some of these other guys. So you need size around him, which is what the Knicks have done well. And you you probably need a big man that he can play pick and roll with. So at least uh, he's not the best. So it's it's probably similar to McHale, kind of second or third. But the who the who the one and two are is maybe a little more particular than some of these players, which is fine because we're out of the top five now. But that's probably where I'd have him. Yeah, I'd agree. All right, my next pick, number seven. I'm torn between two guys here, two very two very different kind of players. Yeah, the question now um, is how low does the actual number one overall pick drop? Well, so he he is in my discussion at this point. Okay, he's not. He's, him a, he would not be next for me, but it's that that's just because I'm a hater. Okay, I'm gonna go Michael Porter Jr. next. Okay, that's who I had. Okay. I'll take the shooting. I'll take the defensive improvement. I'll take the willingness to suit to slide into a role that fits him really well in Denver um, with the upside for him to be more and absorb more. I mean, this this is getting ahead to season preview stuff for next year. But if you want to talk about a team that's going to need guys to step up, we could talk about the young guys we just did on the free agency needs post post free agency title contender needs pod we just did. But you want to talk about a guy that could step in and maybe have to do more in a post Bruce Brown world. It's Michael Porter Jr. should be asked to do that stuff. It's it certainly it's not without their own possibility to succeed in that. Um, just a, a guy that could fit in any team shoots one of the best shooters we have in the NBA right now. So to me, I, I go him here uh, just because I think the value of what he is, even with some injury concerns, is really, really high. You know who I kind of think of when I think of, of Porter Jr. physically is Steph. Because I think I just have this this kind of blind and, and reasonless optimism that there's a world where with the back stuff that, you know, in two, three more years, we just look back and we're like, hey, remember when we weren't sure if like MPJ was ever going to play again and now he's just an all star. <laughs> and sure. I kind of hope we're heading that way. I mean, I know back is tough and he's so big and you can just see it in his frame and discomfort at times. And, and um, you know, there's been stories about how the prep to even play is, is so astronomical, but same with Steph, right? So I don't know. I, I have that, that optimism because there is another level athletically that he used to have that maybe if it comes back or if it even is close to coming back, he will be uh, a real difference maker even more than he already is. Um, number eight for eight me for you is who? Wendell Carter Jr. So you're going him over Aiden. Wait, so let, let's unpack this. Why is, what makes Carter Jr. right now better? Like let Independent of the contract, which is a much better deal for a team. Yeah, like it's not, not about because that's not fair. Okay. Right? 
So right, that's not really fair. Good and good for Danger. Again, I salute everyone who gets the bag Danger eight, and good for you for getting as much money as you possibly could. I respect the hell out of that. Why? What about Carter Jr., the basketball player, puts him ahead of eight for you right now? Because I I think I agree. Even if I almost just picked Aiden ahead of Carter, a little more versatile, right? And okay. uh, f- almost five threes per game, four or five threes per game or per thirty six. Sorry, the past two seasons in Orlando. Shot 33% two years ago and then 36% this most recent season. Aiton has never even really taken more than like 10 threes in a whole season. Rebounding is similar and neither is like an elite rim protector. More of what they're doing is sort of, you know, one-on-one defense positioning, kind of getting in the way type of thing. But again, Carter more versatile. You could imagine him. He's at least more mobile, even if you're not going to switch him out onto like John Morant or anything. And I think there's a, a world that's really we've already seen that he can create his own shot for himself pretty consistently, too. He moves the ball and, and passes better. The real question mark is obviously he's not as big and not as athletic overall, and he, he's never been healthy. So those are those are the, the kind of red flags. But I mean, dating back to this draft, there were people who had Wendell Carter over DeAndre. Ayton. so, you know, the talent's always been there. I'm going to go eight and nine. I, I think this is a reasonable enough place to take him. Um, for all of the awards, for all the concerns about him going forward, I, I still think this is like a good NBA player that I, I maybe a change of scenery would do him some good. Maybe he is revitalized with Frank Vogel in there. I, I don't know what the future totally holds for him, but like is a physical presence, does do some things really well. I, I think nine is a reasonable place to take it. Would you have taken him here? Yeah, he's I, in my kind of big board, which is... Obviously not a thing. Um, ninth is where I had him too. So I have another big, I actually have like, this is my, this is the centers and, and this is like, you know, peak kind of retrospect or not actually being in a, this is peak like NBA internet nerd of us to have like all the guards and wings and then all the centers and be like, you guys are idiots forever valuing bigs. And then they do it every year. And then you so you're taking Marvin Bagley, the third 10th is what you're telling me. Uh, Marvin Bagley did not make my top uh, 23, which is what I went to here. Um, I went to, f- I went to 15. Cause I, I thought there was a pretty hard 15 here. Well, yeah. 15, and also 16. how many we're not, we're only going to the lottery. So how many are there really going to be? But I just wanted to do the thought exercise. No, number 10 for me is Robert Williams. He has never had to be in a big role. So that's what makes this a little bit unique, but I think he will be this year with Boston. I think kind of signaling that that Horford will obviously kind of be done soon and he age-wise will obviously be done soon. They hopefully Joe Missoula got out of his own head and will play Robert Williams. And I think when he does, the rim protection is going to be there. I think there is a version where he is more switchable and more versatile defensively than just being sort of a weak side pest. And I think offensively, there's more there. I don't know if he ever like starts shooting threes. He did a little bit in college. I, I kind of doubt that he develops that ever, but he's a smart passer, solid passer, sets good screens, and you know, obviously he's a beast as far as offensive rebounding and everything else. So a little more of a role player, but that's kind of where we are. I don't think there's anybody that's like, you know, all-star caliber left among these guys. I'm going to take a swing here, go to a guy that could, I think, maybe have like a fringe all-star season one day just in terms of bucket. That's Anthony Simons. Um, really good shooter, really good score. 21 a game last year, 17.3 the year before. He's only 23. He's only just turned 24, excuse me, so still very young. Um, you know, certainly I think will be like the number two, maybe the number three behind behind Scoot and maybe Anthony Simons as that team kind of grows up. But that guy's a bucket. He's a little bigger than another guard I considered at this spot. 
Um, and the three-point volume and the three-point percentage is just kind of undeniable from that spot. So even if he was like, maybe he peaks out as like the the second scoring option, but like the fifth best player on a title team or something like that. Like, I think this is a guy that I just think has a really, really great skill set and can just kind of fill it up for you. So I, I, I'm okay with taking the, the dice roll on him here. Interesting little nugget on him and, and Portland. It's funny because he fell a little bit and, and the fact that he's in the twenties might seem like shocking or surprising, but he didn't go to college. He went to IMG and, and that was part of the interesting thing with him is it was just, he, he barely even played games, let alone like competitive ones. And his skill set was just so like kind of ISO creation, like I'm an athlete, but I also shoot threes, but what am I really? And then you look in Portland is kind of really zeroed in on guys like that because then they went out and get Shaden, who did not play college basketball because of like ineligibility and stuff, but went to Kentucky and then scoot now with Ignite who had two years there and like didn't even play four years of high school, let alone any college and kind of was the first kind of trailblazer for huh, pun uh, for the Ignite program. So that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't even have like an interesting thought or take, but it's a, it's a unique trend that they are like very comfortable taking guys who might feel kind of hard to read for other teams. Well, especially cause that's, that that's over multiple GMs and like yeah. pre and post Mike Schmitz. Yeah, exactly. It's just sort of like an organizational philosophy that we're fine taking that risk, which it's worked out. So congrats. Uh, number 12 for me is Mitchell Robinson. Um, yeah, I actually just went out of my own order, but that's fine. Um, I just think he can control games, even if it's always going to be in limited minutes when it's working for him. I think that his ability to offensive rebound and protect the basket, run the floor, all that stuff is, is just really valuable. It's, you know, what makes a, a traditional center still valuable in, in the modern NBA he was not great in the Heat series. I do think there's going to be series and matchups where it's just not for him. But, you know, we're at 12, so it's fine. Uh, 13, my last pick. I'm going to take Colin Sexton, who I think Brendan is underrated Homer. now. Well, the thing is, plays for the Utah Jazz now, secondly. And firstly, I kind of think that in retrospect, uh, I think the Cavs kind of did him dirty a little bit. They really pushed him early on. He's there the first year post-LeBron. The team's really bad. There's a lot of nonsense. Um, there was a point where like Larry Drew was the interim coach, but they couldn't agree to a contract with him, so they were officially calling him the, quote, voice of the team, end quote. Good stuff. Just a bunch Very of bullshit. Um, peak Cavs bullshit 2018-19 season, if I'm being honest. Was that the B-line um, year? Is that... that w- no, this is the this is the Ty Lue is still around that year. Okay, okay. And then he's gone after like seven games. And then Larry Drew's the year, and it's just like everyone's like we're, we're walking dead for a whole year. And then then it's Beeline, and then somehow yeah, and then that kind of became the knock on him, right? Is like he's an inefficient guy. He doesn't. He's not a point guard. But it's like, well, that's what he was asked to do. Yeah, he's super competitive. Being around him, talking to his family, getting to interview him a bunch of times. Super competitive guy about that about the work ethic. Like the work ethic stuff with him is incredibly real. Um, I like very fast. Can fill it up. Definitely needs to just like let the threes fly a little bit more, but like absolutely can fill it up. Uh, weird year in Utah last year. Only played 48 games. Really limited. I, I, you know, there's been reports that they've looked to trade him as well. 
kind of I kind of just think he needs a home to kind of really embrace him for what he is and let him kind of thrive. But that guy can absolutely fill it up. Had a year where he averaged twenty four point three, like he averaged over twenty points a game twice in his career already. Like I understand some of it was not the most efficient. I understand some of it is bad team, big stats, bad team stuff, whatever. I just think that guy is legitimately like a little bit underrated at this point, even with yeah. some defensive concerns, even with some of that stuff. Like I, I just think this is a guy that could be and is competitive enough and works hard enough to be a, a contributor on a good team. I, I, I think the best is still ahead for Colin Sexton. Yeah, sixty-two percent true shooting uh, last year in Utah, and again, you mentioned the productivity overall. Got to the free throw line a ton. Do you think he's a backup? In the NBA long term, like a six man, or can he start? I think he could start, but you need the right circumstance. And it's getting harder, I think, to to always play the smaller guards. But I think, yeah. especially if they're not like could. a real point guard, you know, he's he's like a wing yeah. that's six one. Another guy that I think might play well off of Luca. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like I wouldn't hate that for him. I wouldn't hate like, but I, I think it's possible. I think a six man role on like a really good team that has like a really sound defensive infrastructure would, would make a ton of sense for him. I like him in like Miami too, while Jimmy's still there, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Kind of would too. I survive in that, I would in too. that context and, and kind of just be physical and aggressive the, the, the way that they are, yeah, but also uh, score, which they need. Also really think he would do well in heat culture. Sure. Like, but I, I'm like, sometimes, you know, this, everyone who watches sports and consumes it with a grain of intelligence knows this that teams sometimes and athletes sometimes like blow smoke about like how hard guys work and stuff. I have actually never, this is the, this was the first guy that I was like, Oh, this is like real to me that I go, how much this guy just grinds and he, his like what he's about is like, I think really the right stuff. So I, 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 I'm a, I'm, I still own Colin Sexton stock. Let's do number 14 together. I'll let you, uh, I'll let you advise me here. Um, I have D'Anthony Melton as my next guy, but okay. The other one on my board would be Bruce Brown. Which which one should be the 14th pick? I think we should go Bruce Brown because he won an NBA championship and got the bag. Yeah, there we go. I think, uh, yeah, his his career path is is incredibly fascinating. I mean he he was really highly recruited out of out of high school and went to Miami with Lonnie Walker and that team just wasn't very good. And I think both guys dealt with injuries. Bruce Brown definitely did. And then he falls to the second round. He goes to a bad Pistons team. And I was listening to a Pistons podcast the other day. And isn't it crazy that to think that Bruce Brown was a starter on one of the Stan Van Gundy playoff Pistons teams? He was a starter in the playoffs as a rookie. I don't even I didn't even remember that part of his path we spent the whole spring talking about bruce brown i didn't even know that i mean i knew that happened did not stay with me yeah very weird career very good player blossomed it is i i think he's proof that you don't have to like you can be imperfect at what the modern nba kind of is in some degree and still find a way to succeed if you're good at really good at other stuff that is proof of concept i think for teams for other players that there isn't just one archetype of wing even you know yoke certainly boosted his him a little bit i i think there's no denying that but I think there is, and he did this in Brooklyn too, there, there's room to succeed if you really excel at what you're good at and play within yourself and understand what you are in your role and are willing to go after a little bit. I think he's a real proof of concept for that. Yeah, the guys we didn't get to here, Melton, Tr- Gary Trent Jr., Kevin Herter, Jared Vanderbilt, Dante DiVincenzo, Kate Bates, Diop, Drew Eubanks, Jay Sean Tate, uh, Jared Vanderbilt I have again, but said that already. That's like another... Robert, Robert Williams? We could have gone Robert through the whole first is, round. Robert Williams, so Robert I, I Williams. Oh, did you? Yeah, he was did number I just 10. Blank out on that? Okay, I just blanked out on that. I was 
Would he have gone higher for you if we had not had these like last year's like weird injury stuff? If he had actually like followed up the real breakout year with like another breakout year? Yeah, I I kind of hope that happens this year. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if Joe. Like I don't think I, he's like starting. I, said, I don't know I, if Joe I don't think, Mizzoula he's, I don't think he. I don't think he and Porzingis can also like play together super functionally. But I I think they can because what's the difference between. Him and Horford played fine together. Why can't Horford? Horford's got a little more like can do other stuff than Porzingis. Porzingis, I think, is going to have one speed on defense, and Horford King is adaptable and I think smarter on that end of the floor. Would be my would be my pushback. Yeah, I think it'll just be a switch from like Horford being kind of the Swiss Army knife secret weapon to maybe Williams being that and and being sure kind of the instead of being the guy who lurks around the rim while Horford is out on the perimeter. Maybe it's the opposite this time around, but. Um, I don't know. He Robert Williams is a freak athlete. I don't think people necessarily like mm-hmm. fully realize how much he can be if if he gets to do a little more. Brennan, not a trivia question for you. Ready? Sure. What G League team? I'll give you three guesses, and I'll tell you it's on the West Coast. What G League team does Jerome Robinson, who was picked thirteenth overall by the Clippers, who does he play for now? He's still in the G League. Uh, per Wikipedia. That's impressive. Um. I'm going to go with the Agua Caliente Clippers because that's who drafted Nope. No, he's not with that organization anymore. He was involved in a... He was traded by to the Wizards in 2020. So, and, but he's not with them anymore, so it's not, it's not their DC go-go. Ah. I love G League another guess or, I do too. No, I, I, I don't have a guess. Tell me. The, San, the Santa Cruz Warriors. Would you have known where he went to college if... You didn't have his Wikipedia page up? Probably not. He was one of those that just soared up the draft board for no particular reason and never had an NBA career. It, it's really rough for guys like that. You just think, like, what if he went in the second round and everybody was just like, okay, we know he's going to be a, be a developmental project. Like, this is our plan for him, but we believe in the talent, whatever. Or he goes straight to the G League and actually gets better. It does these guys such a disservice when they end up in situations where it's like, all right, lottery pick, get to work. It's like, the hell, I didn't do anything yeah. to be a lottery pick. I thought I was going to go in the 40s two months ago, you know? Teams should teams should more embrace the G League as normal and yeah. just should play guys in the G League, in my, in my mind. And just, you're going to start your career there, period. We don't, you know, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors do it. Like, how much more indication do you need that that's a smart thing to do? The Spurs use it a lot. Like, the best teams already are using it that way. That's, that's... Uh... Seems obvious yeah. to me. Yeah. Uh, I just, it, it, I think there is somewhat of a stigma around it if you're a higher pick, and I, I think that should go away, would, would be kind of my, my final opinion there. All right, let's end there. This has been the Just Basketball Show for July 17th. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brennan Clean. Go below, click that link from our friends at Homage. Buy yourself something nice. Some of the money from your purchase comes back to support the show. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing Back At You later this week with another episode of the Just Basketball Show. Enjoy the hoops.